Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. I thought it would be appropriate for us, since we're talking about preparing for a company to come, to look at a parable that Jesus told about a master who is preparing to have company over. Jesus was an amazing storyteller, an amazing storyteller. Uh, Not just the stories about him that are amazing, but when he walked the earth, he he was a spellbinding storyteller. He had an ability to create memorable plots and relatable characters. And just when you thought you could predict what was coming next, there would always be a twist in his story. And he used the Middle Eastern form of teaching called parables. How many of you have ever heard the word parable before? Okay. Parables, the way Jesus used them, they were fictional, but they were based upon things that would be very relatable and familiar to the people who were hearing the stories. They'd have uh, super engaging plots, really interesting characters. And like I said, most of his parables had a twist that came in that you weren't expecting, and it really grabbed their interest. And then he'd resolve the story and give you like this big idea. And his whole purpose for using parables was they were easy to remember, and they would teach people what God's kingdom was really like in ways that would stick with them. And so today we're going to look at one of his parables. But before we do, I wonder, could you tell me a parable? Don't tell me the whole story name of one of the parables of Jesus you might have heard of? Have you heard of any of his parables? Just parable of the prodigal son. Yeah, that was the first one. The the what? The good Samaritan. Yep, that's another one. How many of you have heard of the parable of the good Samaritan? Have you heard of that one? Okay. Okay, got that one. What else? The lost coin and the the lost sheep. So yeah, we got the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, right? You have the three, the kind of that, that, that three, the trilogy of the lost ones. Lots of other ones in there too. Uh, parable of the, the mustard seed, the parable of the, the, uh, the weeds, uh, what's the, what, the weeds, the, yeah, the, the sower and the seed. Yeah, there's the parable of the weed. That would be good. <laughs> well, yeah, probably have a parable on that one too. The seeds and the weeds, yeah. That'd be good. I, need to write, I need to write that down and be a good sermon series. We'll get a different crowd for that one. Um, we're going to look at one today called the parable of the great feast or the parable of the great banquet. And there's one disadvantage you and I have with reading these parables and trying to understand what Jesus was getting at. And the big disadvantage that we have is that these parables, they're written for us, but they were not told to us. They were told to a different group of people. And in what period of history did the original listeners hear this story? Do you know? What period of history was this story told? First century. We don't live in the first century. Unless you're a time traveler, you don't live in the first century. We live 2,000 years after these people. We live in a different part of the world than they did. What part of the world did the people in Luke chapter 14 live? Middle East. Now, we're a pretty diverse congregation. 
I know there are some within our congregation who have lived in or grew up in the Middle East part of the world. I didn't. I grew up here in the United States. I grew up mostly in Pennsylvania. That's my frame of reference. So I come from a, you know, a, a modern, Western, American, you know, Pennsylvanian point of view. These stories weren't written to me originally. Jesus told them to first century Middle Eastern people. And so there's a gap here. He's going to use some terms and characters and talk about an event, talk about what a banquet was like. And if you and I did not know what a normal first century Middle Eastern banquet was like, we could read this story and we could still get something out of it. We might miss out on a lot of the meat of what Jesus was trying to, to get across here. So I'm going to do the best that I can today to fill in that background for you. And I leaned heavily on a book uh, that I have in my office written by a man named Kenneth Bailey. Not a simple read. It's pretty academic. But if you like to really go deep in like understanding parables, he wrote a book called Through Peasants' Eyes. Kenneth Bailey's uh, education was in ancient Middle Eastern culture of the first century. He's devoted his life to studying that culture and what it was like then. And he writes about, he selects certain parables from the book of Luke. And he writes how those parables would have sounded through the ears of first century peasants. And he gives you all the background, all of the, the behind the scenes stuff that you and I don't understand because we live later on. Um, I, so I said that in the first service and somebody shared with me after the first service. I looked up that book on Amazon and it cost $587 with $3 shipping. I was like, I will gladly sell you my copy for $586. And you can, <laughs> so um, there is a more modern version and it's under a different title. It's called Poet and Peasant and it combines that book and his other book, um, together into one, and that's like $19.99 on Amazon. Or if you want the hardcover version that I bought um, from my college professor for two bucks in 1994, you can have it for $585 to see me after service. I'd be happy to sell it for you and order the paperback copy for myself. But I'm leaning on a lot of what he, I won't give you all 25 pages that he wrote on this parable, but I'm leaning on a lot of his research and his uh, well-documented study on understanding what went on with his banquet. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read to you the story as Jesus told it, and then we'll go back through and unpack some of the details. We have in front of us a beautiful table that's been set by Havila today, and Havila and Julie prepared this table just to give you the idea of a nice table setting that has been prepared to make a good impression on a guest who would come over to the house, okay? Let's start beginning reading at verse 15. Hearing this... A man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. And I should probably stop here for just a second. Here's what's really ironic. Jesus decides to tell a story about a banquet. And you know where he is while he's telling the story about a banquet? He's at a banquet. So he's at a banquet sitting around a table with guests and a host and he decides, I better tell a parable about a banquet and a table and a host and guests. So immediately, it's relatable to everybody that's in the room. And if you read back a few verses, you'll find out what Jesus was dealing with. And in verse 15, we get a clue as to what inspired Jesus to tell this story. What had happened was, 
if you can imagine, probably the doors to this banquet opened up and every banquet back in the day, back in this day, was held in a person's home not in a banquet hall or at a restaurant or at Mission Barbecue or some upstairs, you know, not in a conference room or a banquet hall in a hotel. They're held in people's houses. And one of the things you, you, you will see about Jesus, if you read all of Luke, Jesus was very, very aware of all of the social rules of the day, all the social codes, what made people popular and unpopular. He was very aware of all that, not because he was trying to follow it, because he was trying to undo it. He was trying to undermine it. In that day, in Roman culture, and especially in this little piece of the pie around Jerusalem, banquets were all about social status. If you wanted to raise your social status, the vehicle you used was a banquet. If you wanted to go up to the next class and be more popular and develop a better network of people in a different level than you, you would hope you'd get invited to a banquet like this. So the host would use a banquet to up his own status because he'd hope that all the A-list guests that he sent invitations to would show up. And all he had to do to up his status was to be seen around other celebrity A-list guests. And the guests, they up their status by being invited to these banquets and being seen with each other. And around their tables, it was different than ours. There were some seats called the seats of honor. Those are for the people of the best class. And then there were other seats. They were not the seats of honor. And so right before Jesus tells this story, the doors would have been opened to the banquet and people would have rushed in and tried to be the first ones to get the best seats at the table. And Jesus observes all this going on, and he tells them a short, he does a short lesson before this lesson, and I, I won't give you the, the whole lesson, I'll just give you the big idea from it. And his, his big idea was basically this, when it comes down to honor, don't honor yourself, let somebody else do that for you. Because what he observed was people in that room who were trying to climb the ladder themselves, and he says, and his point was this, if you get there first, and you sit yourself in the best seat, you are setting yourself up to be embarrassed. Because he said there could be a scenario where somebody more honorable than you comes in and you know what the host will do? The host will come over to you and whisper into your ear, into your ear um, I'm going to need you to get up and move and go sit over in the corner because somebody more honorable than you is here. That would be embarrassing. Have you ever been to a baseball game, a football game, a basketball game, and you see someone go sit down in seats much better than yours? And they're sitting there having a great time, and then all of a sudden the usher comes down with people behind them, and he asks to see their tickets, and you find out all of a sudden uh, these people are not sitting in their seats. They were trying to sit in a better seat than where their actual seats were. How embarrassing. they got to get up and walk the whole way up to the nosebleeds while the people with, with the right tickets sit there. Jesus is saying, you can avoid that situation by not going through life thinking that you need to honor yourself. Let someone else honor you. He said, it's much better to be sitting up in the nosebleeds and have the usher say, we've got a better seat for you, come with me, than to put yourself in a seat that's above where you really belong and be embarrassed by having someone take you out of it. And so after that lesson, a Jew sitting at the table says, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Now, this is a very random statement. They weren't talking about banquets in the kingdom of God at all. And my question is, where did this person come up with that idea, this idea of a banquet in God's kingdom? Now, let me ask you modern people. Have you ever heard this idea of a banquet in the kingdom of God that we're all invited to? 
How many of you have heard about a banquet in the kingdom of God that we're all invited to? Okay, if you've attended this church for more than a year, you've heard about this, okay? We call it the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's this party in heaven that's discussed throughout the Bible. Specifically, I heard earlier, earlier service, Revelation 19, where we all get to sit around the table. We have a big banquet with Jesus. Now, here's my question. This guy, in Luke chapter 14, verse 15, he didn't have revelation yet. Where do you suppose a Jew in the first century in the Middle Eastern part of the world would get this idea about a future banquet in the kingdom of God? Where would he get that idea? Not from the New Testament, from the, I'm trying to help you, <laughs> from the Old Testament. Doesn't Psalm 23 talk about the great shepherd making a table for us? Doesn't Isaiah 25 go into great detail about this awesome banquet that people will come from all the four corners of the world and they will sit down around the table and God will wipe every tear from their eyes? If this man was a good Jew, and we have every reason to believe that he was, and he was familiar with the scriptures, and a theme of the Old Testament was that God is, is getting ready for a great final banquet when his relationship with his people will be consummated with a big banquet around the table and so when jesus says this lesson you don't have to honor yourself wait for someone else to honor you one person in the room thinks well wow what an amazing blessing it'll be to attend a banquet in god's kingdom think about that and jesus seizes upon this and says mm -hmm. here's an opportunity for me to come after something the people at this banquet have gotten wrong and so he tells a parable about, of all things, a banquet in the kingdom of God. So let's, let's follow along now, verse 16. Jesus replied with this story, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. I want you to see this. How many invitations went out? Many invitations went out. How many different batches of invitation were there? Two. An invitation went out. There's going to be a banquet. When the banquet was ready, you know what else? Second invitation. Tell everybody food's on. It's hot. Come to the table. Put down the controller. Wash your hands. Come to dinner. Okay? So many invitations go out, but there's a double invitation. First invitation is going out to say there is a banquet thrown by this man. You are invited. Later on, those who had replied positively get a second personal invitation from the servant saying, the banquet you committed to come to is now ready. Food's on. Come to the table. Okay? Verse 18 is the plot twist because up to this point, this is all normal first century Middle Eastern banquet protocol. No one would be shocked. Verse 18 is the shocker. But they all began making excuses. One said, I just bought a field and now must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another told the servant, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. And this third guy just didn't even have much to say. <laughs> this is a pretty good one. I just got married, so I can't come. Someone in the first service said, see, the nagging wife began already. You are not going to that banquet. You've got all this stuff to take care of at the house. So verse 21, the servant returns and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, 
the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes, go out behind the hedges, and urge, some of your translations say compel, urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, the only way we can understand this is if the Holy Spirit helps us. So I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you help each, every one of us to use our ears, to use the mind that you gave us, to be able to understand what you're saying to us through this parable in order that it can sink in our heart and change us, that we can be just as amazed by your grace as those initial hearers were. In your mighty name we pray, amen. Jesus is reinforcing this idea that in his kingdom, you get a seat at the table not based on your status, not based on your merit, not based on the people you take selfies with. It's based on grace. That's how you get a seat at his table. And he's using this story to illustrate it. A um, couple things you need to understand about ancient Middle Eastern banquets. Um, first is that it's, like I said, it's all about status, it's all about rank, and it's all about this word called reciprocity. This is a big word which simply means I am motivated to do something nice for you with a string attached that you'll return the favor. So it, it gave advantage to the host because the host is thinking, if I get all these wealthy, famous socialites to come to my banquet, every one of them knows that the unspoken rule is that I get an invite back to their banquet. You would not bring someone to your banquet who, you know, who couldn't return the favor for you. So you only invited people that would help improve the way you appear to the community, raise your status, and that also could do a favor for you. Now, that's all well and good, except for one group of people. The group of people who couldn't afford to pay you back. They never got invited to a banquet. So, you know, you have to understand that when these banquets happened, it was all about status. And I don't know that it's all that different today. I mean, we don't have banquets anymore. But a lot of how you raise your status is by getting people, people of a higher status than you to follow or get involved. It's, it's interesting when I watch, I was watching a baseball game the other week of, between the Dodgers and the Giants. And like halfway through, they started taking camera shots of one of the fans. And the fan was not a baseball player, it was a basketball player, Clay Thompson. He plays for the Warriors. He's this famous basketball player. And they kept cutting to him in between every shot. He'd eat popcorn. Oh, look at Clay Thompson eating popcorn. Who cares? Like, I didn't care. But there was just this idea that we can really make baseball seem that much more attractive to lots of people. Because look, the guy of this status, and he had really good seats because he could afford them. You know, they keep going to this guy. They're not focusing on the family up in the fifth level who's throwing popcorn at each other and scrolling through Instagram. They don't care about it. It's this guy. They wanted to show. And nowadays, honestly, why do you think people go so crazy to get a selfie with somebody famous? You know, this weekend, you got Ben Affleck throwing some guy, like, through an airport barricade because he and J-Lo are trying to leave Italy, and the guy wants to get a selfie. Why is he going crazy trying to get a selfie? You know what? Because he wants to post it around people. Look at my status. I know Ben Affleck. Well, yeah, your picture's everywhere, but not for the reason you think. Fans, followers... We're not having banquets anymore, but we still try and climb that ladder by trying to get into circles that we can't get into. This lounge, that green room, this conversation, that section. 
And Jesus is, is, is playing that up in this way because that's what banquets are all about. In fact, they'd leave the doors open to the house during the banquet. And you're thinking, so that anybody could come in and go, oh, that's really nice. Oh, no, 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 no. You couldn't get into the house without an invitation, but they wanted all the doors open. You know why? They wanted everybody in town to walk by your house and look inside and see who's there and be aware that they're in the group and you're not. That explains how the woman uh, who anointed Jesus' feet with the alabaster box of oil, that explains how she got in. She crashed the party. The doors were open. She wasn't invited, but somehow she got past security and got in, and that's what everybody was so offended. This woman doesn't belong in this room. She's not of the right class. And that's where Jesus started busting their chops over, you know, these are the type of people that I'm after. These are people that nobody wants. They're welcome in my kingdom. And she gets in here by my invitation, not because of her resume or her rap sheet. She gets in here because of grace. And so, you know, the servant, servant goes out. There's all this different type of stuff. Um, first invitation goes out. There's the standard of the double invitation in Middle Eastern culture double invitation. One invitation, the host makes his A-list. Here's all the people I want to have come to the party. Here's all the important people. And he sends an invitation to each one of them before the banquet. Those individuals can circle yes or no. It's simple. Here's the banquet. Here's who's invited. Will you be there? Yes or no. He collects all of those responses. And now he knows exactly how many people he needs to feed. And based on that information in the Middle Eastern culture, the host would know which type of animal of his own to slaughter and prepare for dinner. And once that head count comes back in, there's no way to turn the clock back. Those people are coming. You are duty bound. If you say, yes, I'm coming, you are duty bound to show up. It is a relationship severing insult to no show for a banquet that you RSVP for in that culture. It would sever the relationship. It was such an embarrassment to the host. It was, it was seen as so rude and so insulting because, and I don't know how deep you want me to go into this, the host would know, hey, if two to four people come, I need to kill a chicken. If five to eight people come, I need to kill a duck. If nine to 12 people come, I need to kill what was next. It was a goat. And then after that, if it was up to 35, I'd kill a sheep. And if it was more than 35, I have to kill a cow. Kenneth Bailey, thank you. Um, $585, you can have the same information at home. Um, but here's what I'm trying to, I need to make sure you see this, if you think a level up for just a second. The host will have taken the best that he has and slaughter it and set it on the table and invite people to come. He will invest of his own the very best that he has, put it to death in order that those invited guests can come in and sit around his table. Sound like anybody else, you know? So this is the scene that's being set up here. So the first invitation goes out and it goes out to the people on the list. Many of them get back and say, yes, we're coming. He counts on them to show up kills dinner, makes dinner. And in the Middle Eastern culture, then when the food was hot and ready, Little Caesars, when it was ready, he'd send a second invitation out, okay? Those of you who said yes, come to dinner, the dinner is ready. 
So these people who are making excuses are people who already got an invitation and said, I'm coming. And now the servant goes around and they start making excuses. Again, this is a relationship severing decision. These people who make these excuses are essentially saying, we have second thoughts. We don't want to come. We don't want to be associated with the host. We don't care if he writes us off. Here's our excuses. And I want you to see how lame these excuses are. First one says, I've bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. This is ridiculous. Who buys a field in the first century sight unseen? Answer, nobody. In the first century, it took years to complete a real estate transaction. Because if you wanted to buy a field, you walked every square inch of that field and there had to be a fully itemized bill of sale. They need to know how many trees, how many wells, how many rocks, how many caves. All that stuff would be itemized in the bill. That's why if you read in the Old Testament, sometimes you read like Abraham had a land transaction and it says he bought the field and the cave and all the trees and all the grass and all the flowers and all the crops and everything. They itemized it all. You did not even start negotiating a price until you, the buyer, had done your due diligence. They knew that field like the back of their hand. And he's trying to tell the master, you know what? I just got on the phone and uh, heard that there was a field for sale. I just bought it cash, have never even seen it. And now I'm going to go look and see what I bought. We don't do that today. You would not call your spouse and say, you know what, I'm going to be late for dinner tonight because I just got off the phone with the real estate agent. You know, they put it on the American Express card. I just bought us a brand new house. Now I need to go see what it looks like. I don't know how many bedrooms or bathrooms it is. I don't know what the neighborhood's like. I don't know if it would pass inspection, but I bought it. If the spouse would still speak to you, they'd think you were out of your ever-loving mind. Nobody does that. And what Jesus is trying to show is that this excuse is stupid and it's insulting. It's a complete fabrication. That's how little this guest thinks of the host and his invitation. Next one has another good excuse. I just bought five pairs of oxen, and so I better go test drive them. You know, that's just not wise. You don't get on the phone with CarMax and say, listen, can I just direct debit you $25,000? Just give me a car. And then you, you know, call your spouse and say, listen, um, I just bought a car over the phone. I'm going to go down and see what make and model it is. I, how many miles? Not sure. Does it run? No, I hope so. Nobody does that. Back in the Middle East, in, this, in the first century, it was normal to buy someone else's oxen. That was normal. But there was two ways that you'd buy them. If you were in a town that was big enough that had a marketplace, you'd go down to the market on Saturday or whatever day that you went to market Friday. You go down to the market, and there the farmers would have their oxen out, and the way that you would buy them is first you would test them. You would test drive the oxen because you wanted to see if they pulled evenly. If those two oxen were unequally yoked and one was stronger than the other, they'd be worthless because they'd never pull straight, and so you wouldn't buy them. But you did not buy oxen without testing them. If you came from a smaller village without a marketplace, you would advertise word of mouth around your community. I have oxen that I want to sell off this Friday at 8 a.m. Come by the house and I'll do a demonstration. And any of you who want to turn can then take a turn. But if you're interested, let me demonstrate to you their proficiency so you can tell if you want to buy them or not. And yet this guy wants the master to believe, to be so naive to think that he just bought not one, not two, not three, not four, five 
pairs of oxen and now is going to go test drive them. Jesus is creating something that to us might go right over our head, but the first century would be like, that's a lame, stupid, insulting excuse. They're ruining their relationship and all their only reason they can come up with is a complete fabrication. The third one gets even lazier. I just got married, can't come. No host in their right mind would throw a banquet at the same time of a newlyweds wedding celebration. These happened in villages where everybody knew everybody's business. You would never plan two feasts on the same weekend. Another totally lame excuse. And every three of these people know what they're doing. They know they're setting the host up to be embarrassed because when he opens the door, there's going to be empty seats at the table. And the people, people walking by are like, wow, I used to think that host was somebody, but look at how many empty seats they have in there. And so the servant takes this news back to the master, verse 21. He comes back and tells the master what happens, and the master is furious. And you can understand why. The master has slaughtered his very best. And there's no taking that back. The master has sent out an invitation, has taken people at their word, and he's honored his word. And put this out on the table, and the invitation have decided, now that I see what this guy's all about, I don't want to be part of this. But here's what the master doesn't do. He doesn't say, servant, get your sword. I'll get mine. Let's go track these people down. Let's show them how offended I am by what they did. They won't get the last laugh. His response is gracious, not vengeance. He says, you know what? Go quickly into the streets and alleys of this town and invite the poor. Invite the crippled. Invite the blind. Invite the lame. Now, how many invitations are these people getting? Two or one? They're getting one. And we need to think through what Jesus is trying to get the first century hearers to think here. Why do the poor, the crippled, and the blind, and the lame, why do they never get invited to banquets? I told you earlier. Do you remember? They had no status. Could they afford to return the favor to the master later on that week? Could they throw a banquet and invite him? They literally have nothing to offer the master. Watch this. Not only does the master have nothing to gain, his reputation will suffer. The master will have to lower his reputation in order for these people to have their reputation raised. Sound like anybody else you know? Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but lowered himself, taking on even the nature of a servant, humbling himself even to being obedient to death on the cross. He lowered himself so the poor, crippled, blind, and lame like me could be lifted up. And the master says, go get the people who can pay me nothing. Go get the people who offer me no status. Go, I want to do some, watch this, I want to do something benevolent and generous and sacrificial and kind for people simply because I love them and I want to do it for people who have no ability to return the favor. When's the last time you did something sacrificial, kind, loving, generous, welcoming to someone who could not return the favor to you where you got nothing out of it? that's the love of our Savior. He doesn't just scratch the back of the people that can scratch his. He slaughters his very best for the people 
who outside of his, you see, outside of his grace, they'd have no seat at the table. So they go out and they bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and lame. Now, where did they live? They lived where? In the alleys of the, streets and alleys of the, you know what that tells you? These were people who were inside the community. They were just the outcasts of the community. These are Jews. And God's covenant was with the Jews. The first invite went out to the Jews. But even within the Jews, as much as the Old Testament said it's an all-inclusive call, the Jews said, no, there's some exclusivity about it. And so you had the religious insiders, and then you had the outsiders. And the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, the women, the widows, the widowers, they were the ones on the outside. And as Jesus is telling this story, the people in the room are probably getting pretty quiet because they identified with the first group and thought that they'd be the heroes of the story. And they're hearing that the very people that were being excluded from the banquet Jesus was sitting at are the very people in this story the master goes after. Verse 22. After the servant had done this, so the servant goes out, does that, invites those people, they come in, he reports, master, there's still room for more. Praise God for that verse. Yeah, yeah, because here we come on the story. So the master says, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge, other translations, compel anyone, anyone you find to come. Why? So that I don't be embarrassed when people come. No, 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 no. So that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. Master says, go out into the country lanes. In other words, here's what he's saying. Go outside of the walls of your city and go to the foreigners. So if you're playing at home, the three groups of people are now identified for us. The first group of invitees in the story, the Jewish religious insiders. The second group of people invited in the story are the Jewish cultural outsiders. Third group, Gentiles. Now, not everybody in the room is Gentile. I know we have people in this congregation who are of Jewish descent. I'm of Gentile descent. I'm glad I'm in the story. Because he says, go outside the city. And the whole gospel of Luke is Jesus trying to get through to people? My kingdom is inclusive, not exclusive of people. And he wants to show the religious insiders that his kingdom is for the religious outsiders and even the foreigners. And that all of those people can have a seat around God's table, but they don't get that seat by their status. They don't get it by their religiousness. They don't get it by their merit. They don't get it by their resume or their performance. They get it by grace. And there's this mystery in this verse that has tragically been misinterpreted. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase that's been lifted out of this verse and probably preached if you've been in church for some time or a little more advanced in your Bible study. Go out into the highways and the byways and compel them to come. You know that very verse has been misinterpreted throughout the ages. You know that verse was the motivation behind the Spanish Inquisition? where the church took that verse to an extreme and thought what Jesus was saying is we need to threaten violence to people. You need to convert, and here's a threat of violence if you don't convert. Compel them to come into the kingdom. 
That couldn't be further from the truth. And it's so not the first century interpretation. Remember I told you about the standard of the double invitation? There was another standard, and it was the standard of invitation refusal. You were bound to refuse an unexpected invitation. In other words, if you didn't get the first invitation and you only get the second one, come, dinner is ready, you were bound culturally to refuse. Might have been way for, it might have been a way for the host to look magnanimous to his community. I invited the poor, but I didn't really want them, but I wanted to make it. It was a good photo op. We invited them, but they knew not to come. There was also a, a famous, I didn't share this first service, there was a pretty famous actual example where an invitation went to the wrong family and an enemy came and it ended in a tragedy at the banquet. So at this time, people knew if I'm a foreign, especially if I'm a foreigner or, a, or of a socially inferior class, if I get a last-minute unexpected invitation to a banquet, I am bound by cultural norms to say no. And you are to persist in saying no for up to 15 minutes. And the host knows if I send my servants out to the foreigners to bring in anybody and everybody that they can talk to, the recipients of those invitations are going to be in shock. They are going to be skeptical. They're going to, they are going to doubt whether it's really authentic. And so I need to tell these people, you need to overcome those objections the only way you know how. You keep persisting. Because what he's expecting, his servants will hear. When they invite outsiders, people are going to say things like, that's too good to be true. What have I ever done for the master? I don't, I don't belong there. Look how I'm dressed. Does he know that I'm a foreigner? Does he know that I'm an outsider? I could never repay him for that. People like me don't belong in places like that. I, don't, I can't bring anything. I don't have anything prepared. I don't have enough money to get cleaned up. That's what he would have expected to hear. But you see, the message of grace persists. And it says, absolutely right. And yet the master wants your company. I can't repay him. You don't have to. And so he says, do the only thing that you can. Once you've persisted for 15 minutes, just smile, take them gently by the arm and bring them <laughs> into the banquet. Of, some time ago, um, I received an email from a friend of mine um, and this friend of mine and two other families, the four families of ours are pretty close to this day. None of them attend this church. None of them live in this state, but we're close. This friend sent me an email and said, I think it'd be great if our families got together for a vacation. And I was like, well, that sounds like a lot of fun. And he says, you know, um, I've been thinking about it. I've already done some homework. I found the perfect spot for us, perfect weather, perfect time. Um, I'd like to pick up the tab for everybody. And as soon as he said that, I started feeling awkward. Because I don't know how you do in moments like that. But for me, that's like a big no-no. Like, like, I don't want people to feel like they owe me anything. I want to feel like I can pay my own way. I've got a job. I work hard. Um, I also am a little, I'm always like, man, nothing's free. <laughs> There's going to be some string attached here. Maybe next year, then he's going to be like, all right, your turn next year. And I'm like, right. So I was just like, I just sent back, man, this vacation sounds great. Thanks for the invitation. I'd like to hear more about it. But please don't feel like you have to pay for my family. We'll pay for our own way. Whatever our share is, we'll be happy to pay. Just send me some more information. 
So the next email I get back, um, he says, all right, well, here's the place that we're looking at and the dates that we're looking at. Let me know if those dates will work and check out the place and see if that will work. And I'm looking at this place, and I don't know if he did it purposely or unintentionally, but he included a screenshot with the price quote for the four days. $12,000. Well, see, some of you are like, yeah, you know, that's about what it costs. The way I roll, that is, that is life change. Like, not even, you know, if it was four days and we each picked up a quarter of it, like three stacks, like, I, that's not money that I just have laying around. Like, that would be a crisis-level commitment. But I'm like, oh, man. And, I mean, the place was amazing. Like, indoor pool, outdoor pool, a roof, like, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Wi-Fi, like, all this. It does have Wi-Fi and a comfortable bed and a shower, a bathroom that I don't have to share with another family. I'm good, you know. Had all that stuff. Like scenic location, and I'm like, what have I done? Like, I just told this dude we're in, and we're going to pay for our own way, and I can't write that check. Like, do I tell Kendra yet? Do I wait? Do I try and get out of this? Like, I just, like, me and Jesus, I was like, I'm going to let this email sit overnight, which is good godly wisdom sometimes. Like, don't reply, sleep on it, and then reply the next day. Um, unless it's me, then get back to me, right? I'm just kidding. So I'm like, Lord, what, what in the world have I gotten myself into? You know that I, my pride has an issue with this. I've been, invite, I've been invited into an environment I can't buy my way into. I can't write that check. I don't belong there. I don't even know how to behave in a place like that. It's so nice. I don't even want to take my boys in there to look at it. Like, I'm afraid they'll touch something and, you know, it'll turn off the whole, you know, climate control system. It'll start raining in this room and a volcano in that room. And, like, we just can't. I don't belong there. So I'm laboring over what to do. And I just, I let it, I just kind of let it sit. I sent an email back, like, the dates look great. Let me, I'll get back to you. And I'm just like, a day later, I get an email from the dude. And he and the dude goes, listen, I don't want to be pushy, but I know in your first response you said something about insisting on paying your own way. And he said, I'm just going to be transparent with you. If we do this again in the future and you want to pay your own way, that's awesome. But it would be the honor for my wife and I to pick up your costs for this trip. Something happened in my business where... I ran into a whole lot of bonuses I wasn't expecting this year. God has blessed us in ways we never expected, and he's released us to be more generous with our church and with our friends. And we just feel like this is something we want to do to just thank God to share his blessings with others. He says there's absolutely no strings attached. I understand if, if you say no, you don't feel comfortable with it, but please, please, it would be our honor. We just want you and your family to come and enjoy this weekend. That's the closest approximation I can come up to to the compel and urge part of this. I was in a situation where I was invited into an environment. I had nothing to offer, nothing to contribute. This dude did a totally different financial class than me. Don't even know why we're friends. Uh, you know, like, like, I don't know why he picks me. I have nothing to contribute to. I mean, I, even if I wanted to pick up the tab, I could not write that check. And he's saying, you don't have to write the check. I'll write it. Well, what do I get? Will you just come and sit around the table with us? Can we just enjoy being together. Do you understand that's the message God is sending to all of us? He's saying, listen, come to my table. Come sit here. Come as you are. You don't have to bring anything. You know, like, what do you want me to bring? Nothing. And you're like, okay, when you say nothing, what do you really mean? <laughs> like, can I bring drinks? Can I bring plates, napkins? No. It's my honor. Well, what do you get out of it? You. 
you get to sit around the table with me and all your brothers and sisters. And when he says in the story, the master says, compel, he's saying, you're going to run into people like Phil now or her going to say, there's got to be a catch here. Or I don't fit in in that group. I have too much. I have too little. I can't pay anything back. My type doesn't belong there. They're going to resist. Just be patient and smile and remind them the master really wants you. He really has food ready for you. This is not a joke. You really don't have to bring anything. No, really, you're welcome. Please, just exactly as you are. He forbids you to go buy a new outfit. You must come as you are. But come now. The food is hot. And the master expects that some people, and you know them and I know them, and maybe you are one of them, you're going to say this grace is just too unbelievable. And grace is unbelievable. I'm out of time. Let me just give you a couple application statements. I've already given them to you. Let me just reinforce them. What's the parable telling us? God's making an all-inclusive invitation to come to the table of salvation. That's what the banquet stands for in the parable. It stands to the consummation of salvation. It stands for the ultimate moment that salvation, it's the, it's the yes We've said yes to the invitation, and it's when God is going to say, dinner is ready, come join me in heaven. That's what this is. It's that moment when we all sit around the table in heaven, and we celebrate with one another. We celebrate Christ, and he wants us to see it's all inclusive. The up and outers, the down and outers, the people everybody wants, the people nobody wants. Jesus wants us all. He wants us all, and you have to be careful. If you're someone whose status is at a place like this, it's difficult for you sometimes to think about sitting shoulder to shoulder with people whose status down here, but I'll also say, as someone whose status is somewhere in the middle, I have to be careful sometimes at looking down at people whose status is above me. Now, that also happens sometimes. And God wants them too. God wants them too. He also shows us guests have to be invited. At no point in the story does he say, just open the doors and let anybody who comes... At no point does he say, let's just open the doors and anybody who wants to can come in uninvited. Mm -mm. prerequisite for every guest have to be invited now some of you are doing the math and you're saying see I knew you were a predestination guy and I'm going to disappoint you in a second and some of you are like I knew he was a free will guy and I'm going to disappoint you in a second because the one thing you see in the story is that all guests to get in the kingdom of God you've got to have an invitation and the Bible says God is screaming invitations to us through all kinds of different ways, through his word, through his creation, through his messengers, that's us, through his messengers, through his spirit. God is inviting people. And let me make this very clear. The parable, this is not about how to get people to come to a church service. This is about how to get people into God's kingdom. Big difference. I'm not telling you to go out and threaten people to come to All-Star Weekend or you're going to cut them off. Even if they don't show up at All-Star Weekend, they're welcome around Jesus' table. Come on. All-Star Weekend is a vehicle we're using to try and make it easy for people to get around that table. That's the table that matters. That's the table we're trying to get people to. So guests have to be invited. Nobody crashes God's party. Next statement. Some invited guests will offer excuses. Haven't we all done that at times? We come up with all kinds of reasons why we can't do God's kingdom, God's kingdom way. I'm too busy. Money. I like it too much. I like money and things. The guests in the story not only offered excuses, they said we prefer other things to the banquet. One person even said, hey, my wife. All good things, but those good things out of order, 
get in the way of us coming into God's kingdom. And I want you to know people are always going to offer excuses, and so will we. Every generation has had their excuses. Every generation has. Polite persistence is the way we navigate that. Next statement. Grace, unbelievable. If there's anything, if there's a meta concept here, it's grace. It's grace that Jesus is saying, here's how my table is different than yours. Your table, some people are welcome and others aren't. Even among the welcome, there's a rank. And the way you get your seat is by merit or in your case, by climbing on top of somebody else to be somebody you want to be that you're not. Jesus says, in my kingdom, merit doesn't matter, rank doesn't matter, status doesn't matter. Grace is all that gets you at the table. The, the master has killed his, allowed his son to be killed, serves him to everybody, and opens the doors and says, you're all invited. Insiders, outsiders, foreigners, you're all invited. By grace. By grace. And some people just find that grace so unbelievable. I know people who have been saved in the last few months who have been in church for years. It just took some explanations before they finally said, you know what, I... I really believe in God that way. I'm experiencing God that way. I say yes, that grace is sometimes so unbelievable, it takes additional explanations, and we get to be part of that process. Next statement. Judgment is self-imposed. Here's the other side of the story. Here's what the story shows us. The people who cut off relationship with the master wasn't the master's choice, it was their choice. Wasn't it? He invited them. He invited the first group twice. And then he invited the second group. And he invited the third group. And when you take the people groups of the Jewish insiders, the Jewish outsiders, and the Gentiles, you know what you have? All of humanity. And you're saying, oh, see, I knew you were a free will guy. But here's what the story tells you. You cannot get in without an invitation. And the only way that you will stay out is by rejecting the invitation you got. Predestination and free will. I don't know how it all works. It's just all there. Jesus is saying, everybody's invited. And as long as you say yes, you're going to get in. But if you choose to say no to your invitation, you're out. So you have an invitation extended first and always first by the Holy Spirit. And then you have a human acceptance or a rejection of that response. And somehow it doesn't satisfy the fully free will or the fully predestination argument. And I love when the Bible messes with their categories because it's all right there. And yet that, that explanation makes the most sense to me. Because that's both of those things. The Holy Spirit is always working, inviting, and pulling. If you invite someone to church, you're, you're not the first person to work on their heart. The Holy Spirit was there before you. You're just out in the field working alongside of what he's already doing. But I also want you to know that it's not up, for, up to us to decide to circle yes. Or, we don't answer someone's invitation on their behalf. Our job is not to circle yes or no for those people we care about. It's to get the invitation to them. Every man, woman, boy, and girl deserves the right to say yes or no to the invitation to come sit around God's table. I think this is the last one, the next one. There is, time runs out on the invitation. Time runs out. Now, here's the interesting thing about this story. Here's the way the events go. Master decides to have a banquet, invites the first group, first group RSVPs, dinner's ready, first group makes excuses. Second invitation, third invitation goes out and he says go out compel them to come in and then what happens next in the story do you know how did they respond 
Did they? I think that part of the story is still going on, isn't it? He leaves that tension in the air. He says, go out in the highways and the byways, compel them to come. And then he gives the big idea. For none of the first people invited will ever want a taste of the banquet because they cut off relationship with me. They don't want this. And when they see what it's like, they say, I don't want it. And that's what the first group of Jews said. Jesus came around. They were told that he was coming. And when the Messiah showed up, they said, nope, we don't want him. But we still don't know how that third group of invitations was received, do we? We don't know because we're living it. There's still time to accept the invitation. If there's breath in your lungs, you can still say yes to Jesus. But I will tell you, when your life ends on this earth, there's no more time to renegotiate that fate. Let me be personal. Got a call on Tuesday that I was not preparing for. My younger cousin, Ben, I don't have many cousins. I've got two on my mom's side, two cousins on my mom's side, and two on my dad. I have four, four cousins, right? Um, my cousin, Ben, who's younger than me, I think, he's, I think he had just turned 30, um, he lives in Philly. They found him dead on Tuesday morning in his apartment. Died in his sleep. Cirrhosis of the liver. Don't know any more about it. There's a mass to celebrate his life on Saturday. I don't know where Ben stood with the Lord. I don't know. And I don't want you to sit in the same place that I sit today when I think, man, I, if I had known that that was going to be his last day, I would have made one more shot. I want to send one more invitation. Whatever he said on that invitation, Lord knows that. I don't know that. Lord knows that. But it does make me once again, not that I should need another shot in the arm. It makes me, you know, these people that are kind of, that I've never had a conversation with, we got to get there. We got to get to conversation. And the people who are kind of in the maybe camp, I need to smile and persist. Not in a forceful way, but in a way that models grace. And friend, if you can hear this message today, watching online or here in person, I don't know that you've got tomorrow. I'd like, I don't know you have the rest of this afternoon. I'm not trying to be prophetic. I'm just saying. I don't think Ben went to sleep that night thinking, you know what, this is the last time I'm going to fall asleep. But the Lord knew that. Time runs out on this invitation. But you have this moment right now. You have this moment right now to say, I'm going to come into God's kingdom. I'm going to accept the invitation. I'm going to get new life. I'm going to get a new family. I'm going to get forgiveness. I'm going to get purpose. I'm going to get hope. I'm going to get identity. That is durable. I'm going to accept that. I'm going to reserve my seat at the banquet in heaven. Or you can say, you can say with your own excuses, no, I'm not ready today. I need to think about it some more. I got all kinds of other priorities in life right now that would have to be readjusted. I'm not ready for that. Or that's not what I thought getting into God's banquet was about. I didn't think it was about lordship and surrender. I thought it was about doing some good things and making a few changes and maybe writing a few checks and volunteering. And I'm not into all. That's not what I want. Own your decision. Own your decision. But I'm telling you, Jesus gives you a snapshot of what it looks like. I'd much rather be at the party than outside the party. And he invites us in, not because of who you are or who you aren't, but because of who he is. Worship team, will you come? Let me pray for you. If you are ready to come into God's kingdom, do not wait another hour. Don't wait another day. Don't wait another week. If you know God has been sending an invitation to you, it's probably not the first time you heard it today, but that invitation is there again. And he's saying, come into my kingdom. 
Be a part of the family. Let me clean you. Let me wash you. Let me forgive you. Let me fill you. Let me rename you. Let me give you new, durable identity and a purpose and a hope and a future that will last. Let me bring you.